Hi everyone, I'm Margie Alanese and this is Shining Bright. These are the stories of women who are making the ordinary extraordinary. This episode is brought to you by Nationwide. If you didn't know it, Nationwide is on your side and we have uh, done many things with them over the years and let me take you back just a little bit beyond FarmHer. I actually spent the first part of my career working in the insurance industry and for a little over 11 years I worked in the the corporate side of a large insurance company and I came to know firsthand about the risks especially the risks that are inherent on farms and ranches and kind of those unique businesses right that are out there and they're so essential they're such a large part of our food system they are our food system right you you all are but the reality is the risks are inherent, right? There, there's a lot of moving parts and I'm moving pieces. And I spent a number of my years um, while I was in the insurance industry, uh, especially getting to see some of those large losses that would come out of the, um, the, the farms that we insured. And so it was very clear that, you know, managing the risk on farms is really important. And, I, while we don't have a farm, I do have Nationwide as my insurance company. And I can tell you right now, I have what feels like a million and one things to worry about in the middle of the night. And I'm guessing a lot of you are with me, right? I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what ne next week looks like. I don't know what the next month looks like or the next year or beyond. And it's more clear than ever that I don't get any control in that and I don't know it. But here's the one piece that I don't wake up worrying about. I don't wake up worrying, is my house gonna be okay if a fire were to happen, if a tornado were to come through? I know that I've got that taken care of and that they are on my side and they have been. You know, I have had, uh, unfortunately, more than one car accident and uh, my car has been patched up, fixed, and takes me down the road. And so, you know, it's like this peace of mind. If there's one thing I can control in the world, it is managing some of that risk that we have here with a small business, with the trailers that we pull down the road, with our truck and our cars and all the different things that we have, and not to mention the, the roof over our heads, that uh, we've got them on our side. So. You know, managing that risk is important. But beyond that, the other thing I want to tell you about Nationwide that makes me so proud to be able to partner with them on things like this episode of Shining Bright, that is their, um, their desire, their drive, their ability to bring good to this world. So they do so many good things. I see it on the inside for their employees. They've got all kinds of resource groups for their associates. We work closely with their women in ag resource group, which is hundreds of women. And um, that group helps kind of procure uh, information, education, ideas for them. And I absolutely love that they do that. But going into what we're gonna be talking about today, right? We are in an unprecedented time in our society and our economy. Um, things are fast changing. A virus changed everything. And in the very worst cases, it's making people sick and unfortunately, you know, killing way too many people. But the economic fallout on the other side is a very real situation. And so that is affecting people's ability to 
pay for their homes, pay for their cars, um, put food on the table, you know, and it's very real and it's a very real crisis for so many. And Nationwide has really stepped up. They have supported Feeding America for many years, but they have stepped up even more in this time to make sure that the, um, the, the Feeding America and the food banks that they support have more resources at their hands because um, this this is a very real issue. And so this is a topic as we go into today's episode that has been near and dear to my heart for a long time, something that I've wanted to talk about and was on our list of things to touch on because if you talk about farming or ranching, if you talk about any part of the food chain, and if you talk about food, you have to know that all of those pieces are connected, that without farming, there is no food. And without food, there is no ability for us to sustain as human beings, right? So the, the, all these pieces are interconnected. And unfortunately, um, I'm sure you know as well as I do that not everybody gets the opportunity to eat three meals every day. And um, that's just the way that it is, unfortunately. But there are organizations out there and today we're gonna be talking to one of those organizations, um, the Food Bank of Iowa. And I am right here in central Iowa and I see the good that it does. It spreads throughout multiple counties here in our state, urban, rural, you name it. The resources are spread around, the food is spread around and it's available for free. And we're gonna be talking with Michelle Book who is the president and CEO of the Food Bank of Central Iowa. We're gonna hear a little bit about her role into leadership and how and why and what she's doing in leading that very, very crucial organization and what they're seeing as far as people needing help, people needing food. I mean, they're, they're seeing increases double or triple of what was needed even just a few weeks ago. And so that tells me, you know, this unemployment, this unprecedented change that's happening in our economy right now. People people need food and it's people who maybe have never had to ask for it before. So whether you find yourself on the front side of saying, I want help, or you're on the other side of saying, I need the help, this is an important episode to listen to because she talks about what they're doing, the resources, how it's organized, how it gets down to you, and what you can do to find help if you need it. And on top of that, um, because this is such an important issue to us. FarmHer is launching a campaign to raise money for the Food Bank of Iowa. Now I know a lot of you are not in Iowa, and so I want you to know that you can go to whatever the food bank is in your state and you can donate money online just as we're doing with our fundraiser. But if you're here in Iowa and you care to give, every $1 gives four meals that the food bank can then give to others, okay? One dollar is four meals. And when I think about those little kids who are out of school, who maybe relied on school lunch to be the one nutritious meal that they had every day, this matters right now more than ever. Agencies like the food bank getting these meals to the people who need it. And so we are opening up a fundraiser. I would encourage you, even if you can give a dollar, two dollars, one dollar is four meals, two dollars is eight meals, you guys. Even if you can give just a little, we'd love that. And we're going to match all of the donations that are $20 or over, 
up to $1,000. We're gonna match a total of $1,000 from FarmHer because this is something that matters very much to us. So you can find that in the links to this show. You can find that on all of our social media channels. And again, uh, give even a little if you can. And if you can't, pay attention to where you can find help because the help is out there. So with that, we're gonna go to Michelle. So Michelle, welcome to Shining Bright. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Thank you, Margie. Yeah, yeah. So let's start this off by telling everybody a little bit about who you are. Um, and so are, do you have a background in agriculture? Where, where were you raised? Tell me a little bit about, um, you know, before you were Michelle Bank, president and CEO of the Food Bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I am a small town Iowa gal. Um, I come from a long line of farm folk. Uh, Green County area is where I was born. My parents farmed um, outside of Dana, Iowa, when I was a little when I was a little person, and uh, raised hogs. Um, my my parents and my grandparents always had a large garden, and my grandmother raised chickens. My grandfather and my father were both great hunters and great fishermen. So. As a child, although I didn't have a lot, we didn't have a lot, we were probably lower middle class um, family at the time. Uh, we never went hungry because we knew how to grow, th grow things and uh, we butchered our own hogs, butchered our own deer. Um, and we, you know, my parents were able to take care of a you know, family of six with none of us being hungry. Yeah, it's amazing what, um you know, that rural uh, mindset, that farming mindset that my, my mom grew up in a farm family as well. And I, I myself grew up in the country. I didn't grow up on a farm. It was a farm, but like uh, different, right? My parents weren't, um, that wasn't how they made their income. And so I always am just amazed at, at the resourcefulness, right? Of, of um, people who are able to grow their own food and feed a family that way. It's, it's awesome. And people still do it today. And so cool. So, okay. So you were raised in agriculture and tell me a little bit about your path um, since then. Like, what does your leadership path look like? Because you have really risen uh, through the ranks and you hold a very prominent position that is a really important position now. And so I'd love to hear a little bit about what that path looked like for you. Well, uh, my very first job was walking beans for a dollar an hour, and uh, who would have thought that uh, some 50 years later I'd be running the Food Bank of Iowa. I had a high school guidance counselor that told me I needed to go to college, and he told me I was going to go to Iowa State, and he told me I was going to be an accountant. And so that's what I did, uh, not, not knowing much more than that. None of my family had ever gone to university before, and I was, I was scared. Uh, so I went to Iowa State University, and I spent 83. When jobs were tough, I was very, very fortunate that I had several job offers in the international accounting arena. I uh, went to work for Ernst & Winnie uh, back when it was Ernst & Winnie, and there was a, um, a big eight. Now, now I think it's final four and a couple of regional. Um, and from that, uh, some time spent on... Uh, farming uh, and raising hogs in, in Southwest Iowa, eventually came back to Des Moines. And uh, prior com to coming to the Food Bank of Iowa, I spent about 10 years at John Deere, uh, John Deere Finance um, in Johnston, Iowa, and then another six years with Pioneer DuPont Pioneer, uh, also in Johnston. So I, 
bring with me into this position about 30 years of corporate experience. I like to say that Food Bank of Iowa is a distribution business with a health and human services uh, personality. Mm-hmm. And so your your career has really woven its way through agriculture. Um, you know, I always think uh, outside looking in, people probably think that a career in agriculture looks one way. But obviously, you know, as an accountant, um, you know, working your way through the leadership and uh, different uh, areas of this industry, I'm sure that you've brought a lot because, you know, we talk about this um, a lot that, you know, Everybody eats and there are these different parts and pieces of the food chain and they all matter so much. And um, many of them aren't really visible, right? To those of us who um, have the, uh, the ability to eat three meals every day when it lands on our plate, you don't always see all those parts and pieces and they're all very important. They're all very important. So uh, that's very cool. Okay, so let's jump into the food bank because this is something um, that I've wanted to talk about for a while. This was on my radar to talk with you about and now it's even more relevant. It's even more timely, I think, than I can ever remember it being in my almost 40 years that I'm, I'm knocking on the, the door there. Um, and so Tell me a little bit about the mission of the Food Bank of Iowa, and then let's talk about the very real situation that we're in right now. Well, to set, to set the frame, I would say Food Bank of Iowa, for listeners that aren't familiar with what a food bank does, uh, we are one of 200 Feeding America food banks. Every county across the United States is served by a Feeding America food bank. So Food Bank of Iowa serves 55 counties, in Iowa, all the way up to Minnesota, down to Missouri, over to Illinois, um, including Des Moines, Fort Dodge, uh, Ottumwa, some of those larger cities. Our mission, the mission of a food bank, is to find as much free and reduced cost food as possible, keep it safe, and get it back out to our smaller frontline partner agencies as quickly as possible. So across our 30,000 square miles, we work with 625 partner agencies. It might be uh, it's your small town food pantry uh, that might be hosted at your community action program or it might be hosted at your local church. Uh, more and more, we have pantries within schools. We provide food to any 501c3 whose mission it is to provide a basic service such as food and nutrition to the clients they serve. So we also serve um, and provide food for homeless shelters, halfway houses, daycares, adult daycares, after school programs, boys and girls programs. Uh, before COVID, we distributed, we had to find, keep safe, and we distributed about 1.5 million pounds of food every month across our network. Now with COVID-19, the massive unemployment that we have seen, um, we are forecasting that we are doubling and tripling our distribution in the months to come. I and we don't think it's... Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. Sorry. I, I, were you going to say you don't think it's going to end soon? Uh, how did you know? <laughs> well, well that's my biggest fear. <laughs> well, I, you know, I just... COVID-19 is here. Um, it's in our environment. It's going to be here in two weeks, in two months, until we have um, a, a good immunization process. It's going to be here, which could be a year or two. I don't mean to scare people. Um, 
but also the ramifications of this massive unemployment that we're seeing, uh, which far outpaces the Great Depression that my my great grandparents lived through. Um, the ripple effects of this, I think, will be here for quite a while. We're a wealthier nation than we were at the time of the Great Great Depression, but we also have such huge disparity between the haves and the have-nots. It was very apparent before COVID-19, and it's glaringly apparent today. Yeah, um, it, it, it really is. And it I know that there are so many of us out there that um, if, if we're in the lucky position to be able to have what we need, right, even if it's for today, not knowing what the next month might bring, um, it's, it's so worrisome to me to think about the people who before this did not have what they needed and, and how this ripples through that. And so um, thank you for all of the things that you do. So just to make sure that I can understand and so our listeners can understand a little bit more, for example, um, you know, we live in a suburb of Des Moines. You guys are located in Des Moines with the food bank. Mm -hmm. And so my kids go to school in a school district in the town of Grimes. And there's a Grimes pantry that mm -hmm. serves the community there. So th the distribution that you guys do filters its way down to th places just like the Grimes pantry. Is that correct? That's correct. We keep uh, a very, we keep a real-time inventory and our agencies come in, they see our inventory and order what they need. And uh, we pick and pull those orders from a 55,000 square foot distribution center that's uh, just on the other side of this wall and uh, get that order ready and we put it on a truck and we deliver it to our partner agency. Um, it's uh the orders that have been coming in in the last couple of weeks, we have agencies ordering um, two times, five times, 10 times, one agency 20 times the order that they normally would have placed. So we're doing our best to get as much food to everyone um, as equitably and as quickly as possible. But today we're not able to fill the need. Uh, we have two trucks, two additional trucks coming uh, in the next two to four weeks and uh, we'll add on additional routes when those trucks arrive. We're just doing our best. Everybody is 110% here at Food Bank of Iowa and our trucks are on the road all the time right now. Yeah, I, I um, can't even fathom what that must feel like, especially when uh, your employees, and I assume that you are a very volunteer-driven organization as well, um, everybody's worried about being at work. I mean, you, you have employees just like anybody else whose kids are probably not in school and, you know, how that ripples down through your organization. Can you tell me a little bit about how your volunteers and your employees are um, rising to this new level of, of need that's out there that, that's going to be the new normal, as you said, for a while? I've been working for the last four years since I arrived at Food Bank of Iowa to build a strong, cohesive, collaborative team. And I've got to tell you, this team has never been better. We are perfectly positioned to weather this storm, to address the need and meet the need of food insecure Iowans. I couldn't be happier. I love these people. Um, they work hard and they're all here because they have a big passion for what they do. Um, are they scared? Yes. Am I scared? You bet. Uh, 
we're all scared. We hear a lot um, from media every day about the dangers of COVID. Uh, what are we doing to address it? Well, we're social distancing here in the office. Uh, we are clean, clean, cleaning. Um, I, someday when they cut me open, they're going to find a lot of Lysol in my bank. <laughs> um, you know, and, and a little bit behind, you know, eau de Lysol, I, yeah. I feel. These days. So we're doing a lot of disinfectant cleaning, more than we ever have. We've locked the office doors. So we're asking uh, for people not to visit us at this point in time. So it's just uh, Food Bank of Iowa folks in the office. Um, if people want to bring a food donation, we ask them to put it in a bin um, on the side of our building where there won't be any contact. Um, initially with volunteers, that first week, you know, the wheels fell off on Friday the 13th of yeah. March. Yeah. And then that next week, we saw a mass exodus of volunteers. Most of our volunteers were corporate teams. Uh, um, corporations were sending teams here for um, team building. And it's a great opportunity to do that. People have fun. Uh, they get a little exercise. They feel like they're giving back. Uh, but it wasn't safe for corporations to mandate their employees be in that kind of environment. So the first week or so, uh, our volunteers just evaporated. Yeah. But I, uh, I was on Facebook and I issued a call and uh, people came. So we have uh, ample volunteers today. People are signing up on our website, foodbankiowa.org. Um, and we're doing our utmost to keep our volunteer coordinators safe and keep our volunteers safe. So we ask both our employees and our volunteers, please don't come to Food Bank of Iowa. If you have a cough, if you have a fever, you have to be fever free for three days. Um, wash your hands when you come in, sanitize. Um, our volunteers are asked to wear masks. They wear gloves. Uh, if they compromise the integrity of the gloves, we start all over again. Wash your hands, put on a pair of gloves. We have red tape marks on the floor, uh, keeping people six foot apart. So we're doing our absolute best. Uh, the state of Iowa has deemed Food Bank of Iowa and our partner agencies essential services. So we, we can't stay home. We can't do our work from home. Um, much like Mercy or Unity Point employees, we have to be here every day. Of course, we're not dealing directly with COVID-19. Um, so I think we're, we're in a very safe, essential service environment. Um, but we think about it every day. Yeah. And, and I would say that the work that you're doing, from my opinion, is one of the most essential for all of the people who are so massively affected by this that aren't in the hospital. You know, here in Iowa, we're, we're lucky to have one of the lowest rates of of uh, COVID, you know, across the nation and at this point. And um, so for all of us who are Again, like we're, we're here and we're, we're kind of like, what do we do? You know, I, I look at what you do as just so very important. And I see the calls from our local food pantry that, you know, that, that they need uh, more, more coming in. And as you said, you guys are doing everything that you can to increase that. Can you describe to me a little bit about what your distribution center looks like right now? Like what, what, what's going on behind that wall? Well, our distribution center is a beehive of activity right now. Um, our freezers are full. Uh, we've really ramped up for this. Um, we have truckloads of food arriving every day that we're offloading um, and getting into our inventory. And as fast as we get it in, 
it's going out the door again. Uh, we did add some additional staff in the distribution center to help us pick and pull orders. Um, as I said, when we have two trucks um, coming in the next two to four weeks, we planned on retiring two trucks, uh, but we're going to keep all of them on the road right now and uh, get additional drivers and trucks out there. Um, this distribution center is impeccable. We have to meet uh, very stringent food safety guidelines like Hy-Vee would or a restaurant would. So I'm very proud of our distribution center team. Um, it is spotless. Uh, they're keeping it clean. They're getting the food in. They're getting the food out. And everybody's attitude is just really super positive. I've had several employees say, thank you. I'm so grateful that I can come here every day and I'm part of the solution. Um, I've had employees say, if I had to stay home, I'd go crazy. Yeah. So for um, people that need to see, stay busy and have a purpose, um, it's good for this team of people and everybody's pitching in to help. Yeah. Um, okay, so you guys serve, I think you said 55 counties um, up and down Iowa and, and over to the east. Um, many of the communities that you guys serve are rural communities. And are you seeing a difference there? Maybe, maybe not right now, you know, between urban needs and rural needs. Um, is, are you seeing anything different um, in those rural communities? Well, even though COVID-19 hasn't hit us as hard as New York City mm -hmm. or Seattle, um, the disease itself has not hit as hard but the other pandemic of unemployment has hit us just as hard as it has any other part of the country. Yeah. So in rural Iowa's, in rural Iowa communities, it's the same. Um, I'm watching the map every day to see where cases of COVID are popping up. Um, I just wrapped up the day before, uh, on March 12th, I wrapped up a 55 county tour going out to visit every one of our counties and talking to our partners across our geography. So I'm now looking to see how are they doing, what's happening in their county. We have regional partnership coordinators that are speaking with all of our partners on a regular basis. How are you doing? What changes are you seeing? Can we help you do more? How do we help you do more? What we're finding in rural areas is that a lot of our partners were um, those agencies were organized and run by senior citizens. And with the threat of COVID um, being even more so for people that are 60 and older or folks that have com compromised immune systems, we're finding that many of our partners are losing volunteers. Also to protect our partner agencies, we've encouraged them, and I think everybody has gone to this method where we were very proud before COVID-19 that a client could walk into a food pantry and shop as if they were in the grocery store, selecting you know, the can of peas or the peaches that they know that their family would really like to have. Today, our pantries are putting things in boxes, uh, selecting items for the families, and then either leaving the box you know, in the front or putting the box in the car. They're doing mobile box drive-through distributions. So that shopping has gone away temporarily. Um, we're still serving people, um, but our agencies are safer that way. Our agency partners are able to maintain some distance um, 
and the people receiving the food are kept safer. Our agency volunteers are kept safer. And the mobile box distribution is easier to do with fewer volunteers, which is what a lot of our agencies are seeing. Yeah. Our schools across, we work with about 100 schools across our geography. And in the last four years, we implemented 100 school pantries, where in many communities, the school is still the center of the universe. And having a pantry in the school is a really good way to serve the entire family, not, not just the, the children. And we're seeing across our geography that most of these schools are staying open with their school pantry. Um, they're planning to do that through the summer. Most of our schools are still distributing the backpacks every Friday to those kids that are enrolled in the backpack program. And it's good for the teacher because emotionally, think of what our teachers are going through right now, being separated from their classrooms and from their st students, but also good for the student and the family to know that the teacher and the school still care about them. Yeah. So the backpack program is alive and well, even though um, kids aren't in the classroom. And I'm grateful, so grateful to those schools that are still supporting their families and their communities with their school pantry and their backpacks. And the backpack program, does that send food home over the weekend for the kids? I'm not, I'm not super familiar with it. Can you tell me a little bit about it? So the backpack program started in the 1980s when a um, school teacher, elementary school teacher, realized that the kids are coming to school on Monday, um, they're disruptive, uh, they lack the ability to pay attention. Um, and, and some of them, there was just high absenteeism. And she realized the kids were hungry. Yeah. So she started bringing food into the classroom on Mondays, and these kids were ravenous. They'd been home over the weekend without the meals that they were normally getting at school and were hungry when they came back. So the backpack program is a trademark program through Feeding America. And um, as a Feeding America food bank, we offer the backpack program and it's about 14 kid friendly, uh, fully labeled uh, food items that would go in a plastic sack. The school nurse or counselor or what other caring administrator there is would tuck it into the elementary school child's backpack on Friday yeah. and they put their backpack on. Nobody knew what was in the backpack and they get on the bus or they'd walk home and they had some things to eat over the weekend. It's great for serving elementary school children. Uh, but I know wherever there's an elementary school child, a third grader that's hungry, there's a guardian and there's probably siblings. So we now have school pantries in elementary, middle, and high schools. And they really serve the community very well. And these people, the school principals um, that support school pantries and the staff people that that man these pantries, I, they're amazing. If you wanna know what's going on in your community, ask a school teacher. Yeah. They know what's going on in the community. Yes, they do. And if we don't, if we don't treasure and revere our schools after this, that will be the greatest travesty of all. The things that our schools do for our kids, it should be very apparent to everybody right now, the role that a school plays in the life of our families and our children. Yeah, and and I 
my family has what we need, you know, and I, I can see that full well, because as I told you, we're recording this from our home studio and I've got an eight year old and a 10 year old that are, you know, here while we're, well, and it's very apparent that like, you know, how much a teacher gives to kids all day long, every day, whether the kids have external needs outside of the school or not. Um, so yes, well, <laughs> praise the teachers. The yeah, go to love your teacher. Part of the stress on the system right now, it's huge unemployment numbers, astronomical numbers we never could have imagined. Who would have thought this would happen in the United States of America? But also all these kids home from school that usually got two, sometimes three meals a day. College kids home from school, they have no place else to go. Um, so you think about all the stress on a, on a household food bill and no wonder people are crying out for help. Yeah. Um, and, and I know that you guys are feeding kids, um, not the uh, backpack program aside right now, like kids who were normally re very reliant on everyday meals, right? You guys are at least here in this area. I'm not sure how far that program spreads providing meals like lunch for kids, right? Like people can go pick up meals right now. Yeah, there are two summer food lunch programs running. This is a USDA program. The USDA reimburses the expenses for providing summer food service program lunches. Um, and it's been a USDA program for a number of years. Uh, the USDA allowed us to start those programs earlier. Good. So Des Moines Public Schools are distributing grab and go lunch and dinner in middle school parking lots. And then also um, Central Shelter um, is running Oh, golly, several um, spring meal distributions. And you can find, you know, the information is out there on the Internet. Okay. Um, but yeah, here in Des Moines, but also uh, we've been working with our schools across um, rural or rural counties. And they are also starting their summer um, food service program early and will run that through the summertime. So, Michelle, um, what would you say is the best way if somebody's listening to this and and they want to be able to help um, we're opening a fundraiser through farm her um, and we you know people can donate through that but if people are sitting out there and going how do i help how do i help what do i do what what would you tell somebody right now of whether it's in our community right here in central iowa whether they're you know in a different state maybe on the east coast or the west coast or some tiny town up in montana what what can they do to help share share this podcast with others so people understand the depth and the breadth of the problem, help build awareness. I think that's the number one thing people can do. All of you, I don't care what county, 3,147 counties across the United States, every one of you have a Feeding America Food Bank that's supporting your county. In your county, you have a food pantry or you have a feeding site. So I would encourage you to find ways where you can donate if you have a dollar or if you have an hour um, to donate to your local pantry or your local Feeding America food bank, which procures the food for your pantry. Um, I would encourage you to do that. We are seeing um, 
people really want to donate um, and help out. And we see a lot of food coming to the Food Bank of Iowa, people donating food um, to their local food banks right now or the food pantry. Um, it's difficult to process that right now. Um, and typically I would say, oh gosh, we love it, bring it on because we love the variety. But right now, really it's best to donate a dollar. Uh, with the purchasing power we have at Food Bank of Iowa via our Feeding America partnerships, um, $1 can produce four meals for people in need. For example, when you go to the grocery store and buy a can of Del Monte green beans, it costs 98, 99 cents for you to purchase that can. We just bought a truckload of Del Monte green beans and we can buy three cans for what you buy one can for at the grocery store. So we really can stretch a dollar. Um, and I know people still need volunteers. We have to be safe. Uh, so please out there, stay safe. Uh, but we do need volunteers and we do need funds uh, to meet this ever-expanding need. We are getting a lot of phone calls from egg producers. Um, all that food that was destined for institutional and restaurant uh, production, eggs and dairy and meat. Yeah. Uh, Feeding, Feeding America is working with the producers. We're working with our producers here in the state of Iowa. How do we convert, um, you know, five-gallon bladders of liquid egg into cartons for our families? Um, how do we take a, um, a side of beef and, and produce two-pound packages of ground beef for our families? So yeah. there is, it, it's, a, it's a challenging problem. It's a very interesting problem. Um, converting this restaurant institutional use production into something we can use on a family level is a challenge. Uh, who, who would have thought that this would be a problem we'd be forced to solve? But there are a lot of people working on it. Farmers, um, agricultural producers, keep doing what you're doing. Yeah. We matters. are so great, so grateful, so grateful for you. It, it matters. Yeah. Yeah. Food, food starts there. It starts with them. Like all of what you do starts with, with all of the farmers out there and ranchers. And it's, it's so very important. I know. And, um, you know, so yes. <laughs> I also encourage people. Um, I grew up in, uh, I grew up a long line of, of farm folk, but also garden folk and victory gardens, of course, started with world war one. Um, and through World War II. And my grandparents um, and my parents um, were avid gardeners, not because it was fun or as an act of leisure. They did it because they needed to feed people. Um, I swear my parents procreated four times just to get cheap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, picking green beans was not my favorite deal. And I was a whiny kid. And I now am so ashamed of myself. But if you have the ability to grow your own food, do it. do it. If you can teach somebody else how to grow their own food, do it. You're farmers and ranchers, and nobody knows the land better than you. How can you take your knowledge and pass it on and start in your community an active garden mentality. Um, get people out there, get them excited. You can spread six foot apart and plant greens and plant onions and peppers and carrots and tomatoes and feed yourselves. Yeah, because 
will do that. This is this is here to stay for a while, as you said. So what what a great time to do that. And and regardless of how stressed or how pressured we all are, giving back and doing something and helping somebody else, I feel like is always like an uplifting thing, right? No matter what else is going on out in the world, that that helps me. So um, yes, that's a, that's a can, great idea. In your communities, in your if you can in your communities, start some sort of a seed co-op. Oh. Um, there's costs to seed and the tools that it takes to garden. Um, if you haven't grown up with it, you don't know uh, how to do these things. But start a seed co-op uh, in your community as well and lend tools out to people um, to help them get started. It's uh, whatever barriers there are to gardening in your community, if you can find a way to reduce those barriers, um, I think that's a huge gift, a yeah. really huge gift. Okay, Michelle, one last question for you, um, because we've talked a lot about how we can help, you know, if, if we're in a position to help somebody else here. But what about those people who are facing a need, maybe for the first time, you know, people who are saying, I can't feed my family, I can't feed my kids because my life has changed so drastically through this. Um, what would you tell them um, in, in helping them feel okay about reaching out for help if they need it? I'm going to let Gladys tell them. I met Gladys a couple years ago at a mobile pantry at a church in Perry. And we were, the Food Bank of Iowa truck was backed up and we were handing out boxes of food. And I walked down the line and uh, meeting people. Uh, why are you here? Are you getting what you need? Um, how can we help you? And I came upon Gladys, um, all four foot 11 of her. She's the same age as my father, um, Marvin Book, who lives in Jefferson right now. And I visited with Gladys for some period of time. And uh, her husband was gone, but her house was paid for. Um, she'd lost her savings in some sort of a scam, uh, but she was very much with it. And as we chatted, she said, honey, you just get in line with me. You can get in line with me. I said, Gladys. I'm not here to get food. I'm here to give food. I'm here to help you. And she looked at me. In those days, social distancing wasn't a thing, but she pulled her my face close to her. And she said, honey, it's okay to ask for help. At some point in your life, everyone has to ask for a little help. So anybody out there that needs help, Gladys invites you to jump in line. This is the time to do it, if not for yourself, for your family. We're all in this together. Um, this can't be seen as an individual failure. Um, this is a failure of our system, um, a failure of public health, and a fa failure of our economic policies. It's not a failure of you. If you need help, call your local food pantry. Most of ours are delivering to people that are shut in, or they'll put a box together for you to pick up but make the call and make it today. That's why we exist. We exist to help you. Yep. And if you aren't sure who to call, you can uh, check out the Food Bank of Iowa's website. I'm sure that they can work their way to what the resources in their county through you. Is that correct? Oh, absolutely. We have every one of our partners are on our website. You put in the zip code and it will tell you these are the partners near you and this is their phone number. 
uh, but across the United States. If you're listening to this in Wyoming or you're listening to this in Connecticut, there is a local food bank which supports your county and supports the pantry in your county. Help is just around the corner. Michelle, thank you. You are such um, a, a knowledgeable and calm and necessary force in this industry right now. So thank you for what you do. Thank you, Margie. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to speak to all of the women whose lives you touch on a regular basis. And to all these women, be strong. And I know you are because I know what a farm and a rancher woman. I know how you work and I know how you think. I know these are tough times. We're going to get through it. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you, Margie. Be well. You too. Wow, right? The Food Bank of Iowa, food banks across the country are being hit hard. And we are so lucky to have a leader like Michelle. Uh, I'm going to call her a true farmer, right? She's been on the, the farming side, she grew up in agriculture, she's uh, raised hogs, and now she's worked her way through leadership positions at uh, Pioneer and John Deere, and now she's leading the food bank and she's leading the charge in a time where they are needing more food than ever. A few numbers that were pre-pandemic, um, right? According to the USDA, 11.1% of households were food insecure at some time, and this is in 2018, 11.1% of households. That's an estimated one in nine Americans who are food insecure. And that equated to over 37 million people, okay? And 11 million of those are kids. And so if you were thinking about one thing that you could do that would make a big difference, it's giving money, it's giving time to organizations that make sure that people can eat, especially in times like this, because this is no fault of yours, this is no fault of mine. This is no fault of, of all of the people who are flooding to those food banks to get food. This is not their fault. This is, this is a blip, right? I hope it's a blip. But this is one of those unforeseen things that, that happens and uh, regardless of how badly I don't want it to be here, it is. And so, you know, making sure that those people who are, are feeding all of the people who are so heavily affected by this, urban and rural, because again, these food banks do operate in rural counties. She said there is one food bank in every county across this country. And it might not be right next door. You might have to drive a little ways, or you might have to find somebody to help you get there, but there, there is food that can be available. So um, it, it's so important. So once again, if you are inclined to give, I would love if you would head on over to our website, farmher.com. Right up there on the top, you can click on the Everybody Eats tab and there is a link right there to donate to the fundraiser. Even if you can give a dollar or $2, that is all that matters, you guys. Um, because again, a dollar is four meals for somebody. It's, it's four meals for someone who needs it. And I can't think of a better way to give my time right now or my, my dollars right now and to try to make an impact in somebody's life. So again, I, I hope you've enjoyed today's episode. I hope you've learned uh, that you can make a difference too, big or little, a difference is a difference in somebody's life. And if you need the help, don't hesitate 
to go to your food bank's website and look and see where you can get that help. Because sometimes, as Michelle said, and, and as the lady that she met at that food bank line a number of years ago said, sometimes we all need help at some point in our life. We all do, and that's just it. So with that, thank you for sticking with us here on this episode of Shining Bright.